Well, good morning. Am I on? Yep. Okay. It is good to be with you all again today. Uh, missed gathering with you all last week as um, I was down with the sickness and uh, finally feeling a little better. But I care about my family, and they say that sharing is caring. And so Heather and Isaiah are both now down with some sicknesses. And so they could continue to use your prayers as it is going around quite a bit. Um, I want to open up by having a little discussion amongst yourselves. So make sure you're where you can talk to somebody else. I got three questions I want to ask you as we start out this new year. So first off, the question would be that you can take a couple seconds and share with somebody close to you is... If you could be anywhere in the world, or if you could travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? So just go ahead and share that with your pew buddy, somebody in front, behind, right around you. Just let them know if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go? So I think for me, um, we have some visitors and some friends from Alaska that I've got the opportunity to talk to again. And I think Alaska would be where I would probably want to go right now. Um, they're making it sound pretty good. So second question that I want you to discuss with somebody near you. So fast food is the requirement here. You can't go gourmet. It has to have a drive through Who makes the best burger? The best burger, but again, remember, it's got to have a drive-thru. You can't say someplace that, like, doesn't have a drive-thru, but who is it that makes the best fast food hamburger? Hearing a couple Freddy's. I heard one guy tell me Burger King earlier. Mine would be Sonic, I think. If we're talking fast food, I just really like a Sonic cheeseburger. Bacon shake. Shake it. Steak and shake, not shake and bake. Um, that's Ricky Bobby. Um, all right. The last question that I have for you goes along that same lines. Maybe you'll get a little more divisive on this. French fries. Who is it that makes the best French fries in a fast food restaurant? There's only one true answer here, and it is Chick-fil-A, by the way. Everybody else is an imitator. And I thought that it was only Chick-fil-A sauce that made Chick-fil-A french fries the best. And then I tried Chick-fil-A sauce with something else. And it was like, these aren't near as good. It is the combo package. Chick-fil-A has done something right there. So I asked those questions because I want you to kind of have a conversation with each other. But I also want you to kind of realize that we're pretty open about sharing with each other our favorite things there where we want to go. You know, I could have asked a lot of other questions that you probably would have been perfectly fine answering and sharing with somebody else. Because what we all are capable of doing is sharing something we're passionate about, something that we really care about, or something that has really impacted our lives, like Chick-fil-A french fries. I, I will not eat another french fry the same way after having a Chick-fil-A french fry. And so we all have those things that we're, we care about, and if somebody asks us about it, we are just really quick to be like, mm, I know the answer to that. Let me share it with you. You know what that's actually called, what you're doing? You are preachers. Congratulations. 
You are sharing the good news about something that has impacted you. You are sharing the good news. That's what it means to preach. It means to go and herald or proclaim. And so you are going to people and you are simply just saying, hey, I had the best sandwich. I had the best French fry. This is the place that I went and I loved it. You should check it out too. I'm not gonna try and tell you all about the ingredients, like, well, this is better because they actually cook it in peanut oil instead of vegetable oil, and the sauce is made of mayo, mustard, whatever it is. You're not breaking everything down. You're just pretty much saying, I tried this. It impacted my life. You should try it too. That's what we're going to see this morning as we look at the life of Christ, and we're going to see kind of the introductory statement that Jesus makes in the gospel of John as he comes onto the scene. And the first, not the first words, but some of the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth whenever he speaks in John, it's John chapter 1, verse 39, and he says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. He is saying this simple invitation to come and check it out. That's what we're offering to people when we're sharing our favorite things. Hey, you should just come and try it. Before you make any judgment about it, simply come and see. Heather has won me over to a lot of foods because I used to hate things. And she's like, have you ever even tried it? No, I just know I don't like it. And she's pretty much like, you should try it. You won't know if you don't like it until you actually try it. So she's saying, come and see. And I try it out. And it's like, you know what? That's actually not bad. Sometimes I'm still just stubborn enough to say, I'm not going to eat it. You're right, but I can't give you that benefit. So I'm going to still say I don't like it. But this is the invitation that we're going to see Jesus offers to us. So we're going to be in John chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 35, and we're going to read this passage together this morning, and then we'll kind of break it down after we open with a word of prayer. So it says, the next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? We just read this. He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus who and who followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip replied, come and see. Father God, we come before you. And I just pray that as we are in your word, and God, we just see who you are as we look at the life of Jesus. And God, that you have told us he made you manifest before us. And everything that is known about you is seen in him. So God, I just pray that as we look at his life, as we look at who he is, you work in our hearts 
to just desire you more. God, that we would surrender our hearts over to you more and more as we grow in our knowledge and our relationship with you. So God, please do what only you can do in this time. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. So like I said, I was sick last week. Side note, little financial investment idea for you. Right now is a good time to invest in cough drops. As in like the company, not the actual thing, but like I am buying them up. So their stock is going to go up. You might make a penny this year off of that idea right there alone. But anyways, I was sick last week. And so I didn't really get to finish our last series of Malachi and Jesus in the Old Testament. So for those of you who like taking the notes, this will be my last time of going in depth. For those of you who do not like this, this will be my last time of going that in depth. I understand some of you are like, man, there's just so much information. I get it. We're going five minutes here and then we're going to get into our passage today. But Malachi is the transition from the Old Testament to the time of Jesus. It's important to understand what's going there. Malachi is the last post-exilic or post-exile prophet. And then you have 400 years of silence from the end of Malachi's writing where he says, I will return the hearts of fathers to their children. And then he says, or else I will come upon the land. There is 400 years of silence where God is not speaking. And then finally, you have John the Baptist come to the scene as the prophet who is preparing the way for the Messiah. And we just saw, even in what we read, remember, it said Nathaniel, or Philip going to Nathaniel said, we have found him who Moses in the law and the prophets have talked about. All of this Old Testament stuff is pointing to Jesus. We are now getting to Jesus arriving on the scene. And so what is going on in Malachi is, if you remember Haggai, he prophesied of a future time where they, they just built the temple during Ezra's time. And then Haggai says, there will come a time where the glory of God will come and he will fill the temple because the people were weeping. Because this new temple did not even compare to Solomon's temple. And so they were like, man, what's the point? It doesn't even look that good. And God says, hold on, my glory is going to fill the temple. And so the people were like, all right, that's going to happen. And here we are a hundred years later. And that time has not yet come. And so what do you do whenever you are expecting something and you're waiting for it to come and then time keeps going on and it's not happening, it's not happening, it's not happening. Have any of you ever ordered something from a website and it takes two months to come and after about three weeks, you totally forget that you ordered it and finally it shows up at your door? That's kind of what the Jewish people are doing at this time. They're waiting for the glory of the Lord to fill the temple, and yet nothing's happened. And so they are starting to become relaxed in their obedience to God. They're starting to kind of drift away from holding to his commands and his statutes. And so that is what God is doing through Malachi. He is giving six disputes against the people of Israel. And he is saying, you have robbed me. You have forsaken my altar. You have forsaken the sacrifices to me. You are not living holy as you are supposed to do. And in five of the six disputes, God does this Q and A, this, this accusation and a response with a question of, you have robbed me. Well, how have we robbed you? And then he goes on to say, you bring me 
the worst of your sacrifices. You're not giving me your best. You are bringing the worst. And he even goes on to say, go ahead, give that to the, the governor of your area right now and see if he'll accept it. Give that to somebody and see if they will take it and be happy. And so we are seeing these disputes coming as God answers them and says, this is how you are drifting away from me. What you will see in Malachi is 24 times the phrase, Lord of hosts. It is only four chapters, but in those four chapters, roughly 48% of those verses, God says the Lord of hosts. So if you're Israel, think about where you're at at this time. You're only about 50,000 people strong. You have no military. You rebuilt the temple. You rebuilt the walls, but you are this small nation surrounded by a mighty nation and it's like, who's going to defend us? And God is saying, I'll defend you. You have the Lord of hosts, the God of all armies on your side. I will protect you. I'm reminding you of who I am. It would be like if Kansas decided to secede from the United States and we're surrounded by all these other nations, but then all of a sudden the president would call you up and he'd be like, hey, you know what? You have the United States military backing you. You'd be like, sweet, we got it covered. That's what God's doing here. He's reminding them, you might be only about 50,000 people strong and you're surrounded by this mighty nation, the Lord of hosts. The Lord that is in control of their armies actually has your back. You are fine. And so Malachi, he's reminding through his writing the people of the blessings that will come upon them. But those blessings require faithfulness and obedience. And so then a quick breakdown of Malachi, the survey of it. You have the first chapter is God talking about his love for his people, Israel. Then you have God making that accusation against the priest specifically for bringing unholy sacrifices. And so it's their unholy offerings that they bring. The third section is Israel's unholy marriages and unfaithfulness. They're drifting away from what God has called them. They are intermarrying with people outside of the nation of Israel, which God had told them not to do. And then we see a big thing in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, is that Israel is actually condoning sin. They're saying, just go ahead and do it. God says, you are calling what is evil good and what is good evil. He's saying that should not be. And so then he talks about the coming glory of the Lord being Jesus. And then you have Malachi 3, 6 through 12. Again, you saw the priests' unholy offerings. Now you see the people's unholy offerings. Malachi 3, 13, you see God's love for his people. Not now. First off, he talked about the nation Israel, but now he is talking about those who fear the Lord. He's talking about his love for those who fear the Lord. And then the last section is a summary where, again, Malachi is reminding them to remember the law of Moses. And then he promises the coming Elijah. And then you have 400 years of silence. I think that was about five minutes. So you have 400 years of silence then after that until this man enters the scene, dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts, he's loud mouth, he's calling people by their sins, saying you need to repent, you need to turn back to God. His name is John the Baptist and he is the fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy. Because in Malachi chapter three, we are told that God is going to send his messenger 
Behold, I will send my messenger, being John the Baptist. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, he says he is going to send Elijah before the day of the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus reveals that Elijah has come, and it was John the Baptist. And John is coming, and he is preparing the way for Jesus. And so as we were told in our text that we read, John is standing there. He has two of his disciples with him. He sees Jesus walking along the way, and he shouts out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one that you all have been waiting for, the one that, the Mo that Moses and the law and the prophets have all been talking about, the one that is going to come and deliver you, he has come. And so his two disciples are like, wait a minute, he's the one that we're waiting for. We're going to go follow him. So they go running after Jesus. And notice Jesus' first words to the disciples. In verse 38 of John chapter 1, it says, Jesus turned and he saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? What is it that you want? You know, this is a question that we all ask ourselves, that we all are asked by Jesus when we start drawing to him. What is it you are looking for in Jesus? Is it that you think, okay, my life really is terrible right now, so I think that if I come to Jesus, everything will fall in place. I'll get the girl, I'll get the job, I'll get the car, everything will work out. Health, wealth, prosperity. If you name it, you can claim it, and it'll fall upon you. That's what I want from Jesus. Or maybe if I come to Jesus, it says that if you ask anything in Jesus' name, you'll get what you want. And man, I could really win the lottery right now. So Jesus, I want those seven lucky numbers that are going to win me the Powerball. Is that what you're coming to Jesus for? What is it that you're coming to Jesus for? Well, it's because my parents raised me in the church. You know, I was a drugged out baby. I was drugged to church every Sunday. Um, sorry. Uh, might hit a little too close to home to some people. But, you know, it's like I, I'm just coming because uh, it's the only thing I know to do. Whatever it is, Jesus is asking you that question. What are you seeking out of Jesus? And, you know, Jesus asked this question multiple times throughout his ministry. Later on in Mark, he encounters this rich young ruler who, key word there, is rich. And the young ruler comes to Jesus, this is Mark chapter 10, he comes to Jesus and Jesus, he asks Jesus, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says, you have heard what it is said, you shall honor your parents, you shall not steal, not kill, not covet, not commit adultery. And he's like, I have done all of that, what else should I do? And Jesus says, well, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And we are told that rich young ruler went away sad and heartbroken. Because he had great wealth. He was wanting to come to Jesus, but apparently his motives were not entirely correct. Because he wanted to come to Jesus, but have everything of this world at the same time. Can I have eternal life, but also keep my comfort, keep my luxuries, keep everything like that? Jesus, I'm looking for you to just kind of be that, that get, out of hell, get out of hell free card. I'm not looking for you to be Lord of my life. We're also told later on that Jesus, after he feeds the 5,000, this is in John chapter 6, like has a huge gathering. I mean, like if, if I heard that Chick-fil-A was given like free Chick-fil-A for a year, if you came in the next 45 minutes, we're wrapping up really quick probably. Not really. But, you know, I mean, it's like, man, if I heard that somebody was giving away free stuff like that, like, I'm going, and then I might start following Chick-fil-A a little bit closer. I mean, I'm already a pretty devoted fan. 
But these people are fed by Jesus. 5,000 of them are fed. And then they start following Jesus. And Jesus pretty much says, hey, y'all come after me because you want the food. But if you truly want to follow me, you're going to have to eat my body and you're going to have to drink my blood. And they're like, that sounds weird. I don't know if we can do that. And talk about cancel culture happening. Jesus went from 5,000 to 12. I've caused some people to leave before, not that many people at once. And yet Jesus did that. And so then Jesus, he turns to his 12 closest friends and he looks at them and he's like, are you guys going to leave us too? Because those 5,000 were seeking the wrong thing out of Jesus. We just want the comfort and the luxuries that he can give me. And these 12 have the correct answer. John chapter 6, verse 66, Jesus turns. It says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. You are the one that Moses talked about. You are the one that the prophets prophesied about. You are the one that will save us. You are the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. You are the one that will set us free. That's what they came seeking from Jesus. And so the thing is, is that this is what we are asked as well. What is it you are seeking from Jesus? And if you are answering the wrong thing, Jesus is going to disappoint. But if you come looking for him to just be your savior, your Messiah, your, your healer. I mean, the Bible says so many things about who Jesus truly is. And when we come with that broken heart, I think this is one reason why pride keeps us from coming to Jesus. And God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because pride is going to come to Jesus looking for the wrong things. Whereas a broken heart, where Jesus says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are broken, because they realize there's nothing in this world that I can have. I need Jesus. Because they come to Jesus realizing you're my everything. You're not just my cure. You're not just a crutch. You're not just a, a lottery ticket. You're not a get out of hell free card. You're everything. Without you, Jesus, I have nothing. That is the heart that we come to Jesus with. A humble, broken heart. That's why repentance is a huge thing. Because repentance requires humility. It takes humility to say, I'm wrong and I don't have all the answers. And so I have to fall down. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, whenever he's praying that the thorn be removed from his side, he says three times, I pleaded. And three times God responded, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, not when you're feeling strong, not when you have everything figured out, but in your weakness, my strength is perfected. And so we need to be humble. We need to be broken. And when we are, we see Jesus' invitation. What is it you're seeking? And then he says, come. Come and follow me. That's the great news. Is that Jesus' invitation is even before you have everything figured out, these disciples came and they're like, hey, where are you staying? And he simply says, come and you will see. Come and follow me. It's not, well, let me give you a pop quiz real quick. What are the five doctrines of Calvinism? What is the doctrine of 
baptism? What is the doctrine of predestination? They didn't come and say, can you specifically explain revelation to me? He simply said, come, you are invited, come and see. Before they had anything figured out really, his invitation stood, come and see. That's the same invitation that Jesus offers to us. Before we have our life figured out, before we've got all the skeletons in our closet cleaned up, before we are totally able to do it on our own, because you'll never be able to, that's pride. Remember, we have to come broken. We have to come repentant. We have to come in humility. And then we just come and say, God, you, Jesus, you are the one that has it. And I, I, I just want to come to you. And his question, his not question, invitation is come, come check me out. Come see who I am. And he says, I will show you everything. Later on, he's talking to Nathaniel. And Nathaniel uh, was like, is anything good coming out of Nazareth? And then Jesus says, behold, there is no more true Israelite than you. And he's like, do you even know me? And Jesus says, I saw you even before I saw you. I saw you sitting under, I think it's a tree or something. He's like, I saw you then. And Nathaniel's like, oh my, you are the one. Because nobody was there. And yet you're saying you saw me and Jesus says, you think I'm the one because of that? You will see greater things than these. Jesus' invitation to us this year is come, come find out who he is. Come read his word. Come dive into what he has to say. Come and see who he is. You don't have to have it all figured out because you never will. You don't even um, have to, totally know a lot of things. He's simply saying it's faith of a child. Come and see what Jesus has to say. He says, are you hurting? Are you weak? Are you exhausted? Are you confused? Are you broken? Are you lost? Are you struggling with identity? Are you, wh whatever it is, he gives you the same invitation. No matter who you are, no matter what your past is, no matter what you're currently going through, it is the same invitation. Come and see. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying over and over, you see this as you read through the life of Christ, who no matter what your background is, if you are a woman that literally was pulled out of the act of committing adultery, his invitation is the same to her, come and see. If you are a tax collector that is despised by everybody on all sides, he says, come and follow me. If you are a self-righteous rich man, he says, come and follow me. The invitation is the same from Jesus, no matter who you are, come and see. And then we move on later on and we see now our response to this. Because Philip gives us a great example. Whenever I maybe say the word preach, you're like, oh, that was easy. I was talking about food. I love food. Well, shouldn't we be able to talk about Jesus because we love Jesus? But yeah, so often, I'm totally guilty of this because it's like ugh, crazy in my head. Um, I overthink things. And so it's like, man, if I went and talked to that person about Jesus, I, what, what if they asked this? What if they asked that? Like, I got to be prepared for all three million questions that they could ask me. And that's a daunting task. And so my fear keeps me from going. But notice what Philip does. 
He, he finds Jesus, and then he says, you know what? I'm going to go, and I'm going to invite somebody. And so he goes and finds Nathaniel, and he says, hey, we have found the one. We have, I, I have found the one that is going to change my life. And Nathaniel pushes back on it. He says, oh, he's a Nazareth, Nazarene. Can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, that's kind of the fear that probably a lot of us have. If I talk about Jesus, they're going to try and push back on me. You know what is really cool about the Christian faith? You don't have the ability to conform anybody's life or transform anybody's life. That is all on Jesus. He is the one that will work in their hearts. But Philip shows us three easy words that we can share with people. When we go and talk to them and it's like, man, I feel like God's kind of putting it on my heart that I should say something to them. Three easy words. Come and see. Well, what about this? Come and see. Well, what do you guys think on that? You know what? Just come and see. Like, I don't have to have a defense for everything right there. Instead, I'm inviting you to come and see to come and join me on this journey. I have found the one that has transformed my life. I have found the one that took me from addictions, that took me from negative thoughts, that took me from depression, and he has given me purpose and meaning and joy. That's what he's done to my life. I think he can do it to yours too. Just come and see. It's a simple invitation that Jesus offers to us, and we too are now called to go and simply offer to other people. I mean, you can just be like, hey, we, we meet together Sunday mornings at 1030. And uh, this guy that takes the stage might be able to tell you something. Um, if not, he would love to sit down and talk to you and answer those questions. And he might say he doesn't know because he doesn't know a lot. But <laughs> I mean, I know some. God keeps speaking to me. But it's like, hey, just, just come and see. The fear of needing to know everything, Philip takes that away by setting the example of this changed my life. I think it could yours too. Come and see. And then if they're like, nah, I just, I don't really buy into that. Okay, I'm going to be praying for you. And I might come back and I might offer you the same three words. Hey man, you should come and see. God's really doing a work. You should come and see what God is doing. Determine for yourself. Don't do it based on what I have to say. You should come to Jesus because that's what he's offering you. And then the last thing I'll close with this is that we get to share what he's done in our life. That's part of the invitation is this is what he's done in my life, that he has transformed my heart. We see this in John chapter four, where Jesus has the encounter with the woman at the well. She's there in the middle of the day. Nobody else is around because she is living a very promiscuous life. She has had multiple husbands and is currently living with a guy that she's not married to. So she is like the outcast of the city and she's there and Jesus comes to her. She's a Samaritan. He's a Jew. They don't like each other. And Jesus comes and says, will you give me a drink? And she's like, you're a Jew. You're a dude. Who are you asking me for that? And he's like, if you knew who it was that was truly asking you for a drink, you would ask him for a drink. And so they, they go through this dance back and forth of, oh, I would love that so that I don't have to come out here anymore. And then he calls her out on her husband's. She deflects and he says, you're right. You don't have
have a husband. You've had multiple husbands, and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. And she just jaw drops. And you know what she does? She was called out on her stuff, and she goes running back to the village, and she offers that same invitation that Philip offered. John chapter 4, verse 29. She says, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did, and he loved me because of it. I'm adding that part to it, but everything Jesus did was in love. She says, can this be the Christ? I mean, he just called her on all her stuff, and she's like, I got to go tell everybody about this. And so she just runs through the town and is like, come and see this man. And then skip down 10 verses, verse 39. What's the result? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of her testimony. That she went and said, come and see. And she just shared what God had done in her life. Again, that is what we are called to do. This is, you, sh- you should come and see because this is what God has done in my heart. I mean, we could sit there and dispute a lot of different things. You can't dispute what he's done in my life. And so let me share that with you. And I believe he can do it in your heart too. So come and see. And then it goes on. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. So because of what she, she said, they, they drew an interest, and they were like, hey, we're going to take her up on this invitation. Let's come and see. And so then it says, many more believed because of his word. They now encountered Jesus, and so they believed. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. First, you shared your testimony, and so I came because it was like, man, that sounds like what I need in my life. But then I experienced who Jesus truly was as I dove into his word, as I, as I gathered in Christian fellowship and community, and I saw him working in their lives. And now it's no longer because of what you said. It's because he has impacted my life as well. It's the invitation Jesus offers us. Come and see. But it's the simple invitation that we too get to offer a world out there. Come and see. Because I've banked my eternity on who Jesus is. And I will do it again because he is everything to me. So now we just need to grow passionate about him. And we will share what it is that we are passionate about. You love Chick-fil-A? You love good old Sonic cheeseburgers? You're going to share that stuff. Why not share Jesus, who is far greater than those entirely? that we should just go and offer people, come and see. Father God, I thank you that that's the invitation that you give to us. That it's not dependent on who we are. It's not dependent on how together our life is. God, it is not dependent on anything about us. It's simply you, the king of the universe, inviting us into relationship with you. And so, God, I pray for everybody that might not have that relationship today and a a true, true relationship. 
that maybe they're seeking the wrong thing from you, but God, I pray that you work on their hearts to show them who you truly are. So if there be somebody hearing my voice that needs to surrender their life over to you, God, give them the courage to come forward and talk with me about it or to find a trusted believer in Christ that they can just talk to. And then God, for the rest of us who have given our lives to you, who have had our hearts transformed by you, may we just take it upon the, the command that you've given us now to go and be lights in the world, to be your ambassador. God, may we just offer that invitation to come and see who you are. We love you, we praise you, and it's in the name of Jesus we ask this, amen.